0: From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk
1: Radio, TNT. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Kenningson, your host. Welcome to The Patrick Henningsen Show. Listen, uh, great discussion, of course, brought up a lot of points with Piers Robinson there. A lot to, lot to think about, a lot to ponder about. And towards the end, we sort of touched on, we didn't have enough time to get into this, but um, perhaps it warrant another discussion with Piers or, or someone else certainly it's kind of an emerging thing. Uh, there's a kind of this uh, split, especially on the COVID vaccine discussion. Uh, there's, there's sort of this, uh, the top tier, if you will, the intellectual dark web, as they call themselves, uh, people like Brett Weinstein, uh, and others, um, what they call the health freedom movement. And Mm -hmm. Brett Weinstein is a sort of became a high profile, uh, pundit, uh, because he was a, lecturer or professor at evergreen college i believe this is in oregon it's like ultra far left type of uh student campus environment and uh it was over the issue of uh the woke issue and apparently uh his students were protesting against um, him not going along with the woke agenda it immediately garnered uh high profile national news attention And Brett Weinstein uh, became a sort of public figure at that point, you know, going against the woke and uh, the hysterical students and the gender madness and all of this stuff. And so he's uh, a scientist of sorts, um, and he does a podcast called Dark Horse with his wife, Heather Heyer. And uh, then COVID came along, and uh, Brett and uh, they were pretty much on board with the mainstream narrative, weren't protesting against the lockdowns pretty much mainstream. And like so many of these sort of new alternative, but they're not really alternative because they came to prominence being platformed in the mainstream. But nonetheless, um, they're always kind of about 12 months behind uh, the cutting edge on all of these issues. So by the time he... But they have big audiences and you can garner a big audience by not taking risks (laughs) on YouTube. I can personally... Yeah, I can personally attest to that being the case. Okay, don't take risks on YouTube, and uh, you have the potential to get a big, big audience. So, but anyway, um, Brett Weinstein put out this tweet uh, saying, basically, telling off what he called the dissidents within the COVID uh, narrative, whatever, and uh, he's saying that um, you know dissidents succeeded in upending co- the COVID narrative. Uh, Of course, Brett wasn't one of those people early on, but he's kind of putting himself in that camp because he was late to the party. Um, He's calling, uh, it was a historic victory. We defeated the establishment in the COVID narrative. I disagree. I think the the establishment won and there was a breakaway civilization after that. We can have a debate about that. But instead of coming together and gearing up for a rematch that Goliath is clearly planning, a fair faction are, are overtaken by petty infighting. Why? And he's saying dissidents tend to be lone wolves, not team players. Uh, dissidents have no experience wielding any power influence uh, and also uh, play the game like novices and so forth. So it's you get this from the gatekeepers. They say, why can't we, we all need to agree. We all need to agree on the science of COVID because that's what this is about. Brett Weinstein is a lab leak proponent. He's pushing the idea that there is a, a lab created super virus on the loose. And at the same time, he's saying COVID wasn't very deadly. So it can't be both. Okay. It can't be both because that's like an intellectual backflip. The gymnastics required for that are just ridiculous. And these are from sort of public intellectuals. So uh so he's saying we all need to be on the same page and so the, these people are the ones who are fighting are starting the infighting in a way because they don't want to have a conversation with anybody challenging the cathedral and this is a good lesson is that the so-called alternative community who's not really alternative at the top layer but they create a cathedral whereby they're protecting their cathedral um so that they can get guest spots on Joe Rogan or Tucker Carlson or whatever, uh, Russell Brand in some cases, although Russell's way out on the edge now, which uh, actually I think is a good thing because uh, hopefully he'll be more edgy than he was before. But uh, but yeah, everyone's got to protect their interests and their career, their sub stack. Uh, their YouTube channels and all of this stuff. And that creates a, a type of conservative approach to information whereby they become the new mainstream gatekeepers. We've seen it many times before and the better, uh, there's no better example than looking at the COVID uh, issue and how these people have coalesced to protect certain scientific narratives exactly like Anthony Fauci does. So that is not really a pursuit of the truth. It's a pursuit of, well, we've established this narrative. We've got a crowd around us. We're making money. So let's not change anything. And that's Del Bigtree as well at the High Wire. He's involved in the same type of gatekeeping. So they don't want to challenge this. Lab leak is great. Gets lots of clicks. It's very attractive, but there's no actual proof behind it other than emails and so-called gain-of-function research. But as I've said on this program many times over the years, There has never been any proven gain of function in the area of virology ever in history, period, period there has in bacteriology, but that's a different whole different, uh, discussion and a different area of biology, bacteria and viruses, there's nothing in virology for gain of function. And that's what Brett Weinstein and others like him are pulling their hair out, trying to find out, oh, how can we all get together and agree on everything? Listen. The world science, the pursuit of truth doesn't wait around for consensus, okay? People are going to push and push and push to get to the truth. The real dissidents, the real warriors are the ones that are basically pursuing the truth at all costs, no matter where it leads, without fear or favor, without fear or favor. So let's just leave it there for the moment. I want to bring on to the call, if I can, Basil Valentine, our uh, correspondent who is roving at the moment. Hopefully we'll get him... uh on the line just shortly. I'm not sure if he's there, but Basil, I don't know if you caught any of that conversation we had uh, earlier with uh, Dr. Piers Robinson in the first hour. Did that uh, pique any interest or do you have anything to add to that? Because I thought we covered a fair amount of ground here talking about the information space, narrative management, how governments are pushing back with censorship, and really to no avail, Basil, because the trends in terms of the Great Awakening are unstoppable. People are moving in a totally different direction than the establishment on all of these issues, including Gaza, your take on this.
2: Yes, you made very interesting points about how the uh, health freedom movement was composed largely of people from the right. And uh, ironic, really, that to most of the left got behind the mandatory injections and the lockdowns and everything else. We saw the emergence of this sort of new authoritarianism, although I wouldn't you know, I hesitate to call it the, the left because really it's that neoliberal authoritarian center which is where the greatest danger to peace, freedom and all the other good things in life comes from. The neoliberal authoritarian center that is in fact deeply fascistic and uh, is of course backing Israel in its current campaign of genocide. I'm talking about the Sunaks, Vondaleans, and Bidens of this world. Biden saying on the one hand that uh, his opponent is, his opponent apparently is a threat to democracy, and that's why he must be kept off the balance. I mean, this is uh, this is straight out of the tin pot dictator stuff. If you heard uh, Bokassa or Idi Amin uh, back in the day saying that kind of thing, you'd think, you know, this is kind of double speak that we hear from um, from the worst kind of despot. So I, th- I thought that was an interesting point. And then, you know, obviously how uh, the Gaza issue has reignited the left in many ways, um, and a lot of uh, what one might call fellow travellers with that neoliberal authoritarian centre. I've now recognized it for the appalling empire, human-crushing behemoth that it is. So we've actually seen since October the 7th, to a certain extent, a re-energizing and a re-emergence of the old left, of the genuine left, as it were, the humanitarian left. So, in as much as these left-right uh, descriptions are worth anything at all, the tectonic plates are in motion, and if the health, freedom, and associated movements could be united with that old left, as it were, I mean that you know then you know interesting things might happen. Um, The the Rumours have been doing the rounds on Twitter that Jeremy Corbyn is going to launch a new political party before the next election. Mm. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, Certainly, there is a huge clamour for an alternative to the duopoly here in the UK, just as there is in the United States. Uh, For example, the shadow health secretary... Uh, the man that Alexei Sale famously said looked as if he was Kier Starmer's illegitimate son, only made out of margarine. <laughs> and uh, that's being kind. The the st- streeting does indeed have margarine-like qualities. Well, not only is he a uh, full-throated supporter of the genocide and mass mutilation of children. He also wants to privatise the National Health Service, and that's supposedly a Labour shadow minister. So there have been lots of demonstrations outside his constituency office in Ilford, I think it is, and uh, uh, people are going to be standing against him, uh, including, I think, a... um, a well-qualified local politician who was pushed out to make way for streeting. And streeting's only got a relatively small majority. So, uh, likewise, I think Starmer is going to be targeted in his own constituency. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, the po- first-past-the-post system uh, means that it's very, very difficult in the UK for new parties to break through. But, where resources are concentrated in individual constituencies, then a process of decapitation can take place. And that would itself have uh, a considerable impact. So if, for example, Starmer lost his seat, well, then what they used to do in the old days uh, was push uh, an existing MP who was close to retirement age out of his or her seat uh, quite swiftly after the election so that so that the uh the leader or senior politician can get another safe seat somewhere. But that sort of carpet bagging doesn't go down very well with the electorate. And there'd be no guarantee that Starmer would fr- frankly would win any seat in the country. Um so yes, we, we you know it'll be interesting to see whether or not uh we, we see the emergence of some radical alternatives in the upcoming UK general election, which is scheduled for later this year.
1: Yeah, so uh, Richie Sunak is he given a given a date on that? Uh, do we do we have some indication of is that going to be September or after the summer I session? Think
2: people are, people are more likely, they t- UK elections tend to be in May or October.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They don't tend well, to be, you know, June, June, July, August is a no no because of holidays and for some reason the sun if the sun is shining British people can't vote so it'll either be it'll either
1: be May or October is is the fixed term parliament uh the act that was enabled uh a few years ago uh has that has that been has that been uh lifted or is that still the yeah, law it's of the kind land
2: of the, the, they, there were always caveats that meant that uh prime ministers could do differently if they wanted so Mm -hmm. you know it was always like most of the legislation passed in the last 30 years it was
1: sure yeah because that's that that was also an issue on uh on on a previous uh, premierships, yeah. So I suppose if you want to let it run its full term, uh, five years, uh, if it was fixed under the Fixed Term Parliament Act, um, there's nothing going to prohibit you from doing that. But as you said, uh, if a prime minister wants to have call an earlier election, they can do that too if they think there's an opportunity there uh, to get that That's right. even quicker. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's right. Yeah yeah
2: so, so a, a few other a few other stories from the uh from what used to be the Twitter sphere. what should we call it now from the world of planet x <laughs>
1: yeah yeah spacex twitter x what's the other yeah, one yeah
2: planet uh, x well, I, as uh pierce mentioned a number of uh ex- prominent palestinian accounts or pro-palestinian i should say Accounts um, with large numbers of followers have suddenly been suspended without any uh, notice or warning, including Alan McLeod, um, who, uh, of course, is uh, from Mint Press News. He seems to be. Well, he hasn't posted in 10 hours and Alan usually posts a lot. Senior staff writer at Mint Press News. So, uh, something as strange has happened there because his followers have been reduced to 851 and he had thousands of supporters. A number of others, um, Zay Squirrel, uh, not an account I was familiar with, Ken Klippenstein. Um, hundreds of thousands of followers have been removed so something very strange going on there um and uh, people are suggesting that it may be the work of the so-called canary mission Mm.
1: yeah that strikes me as odd because uh, you know i've been following alan mcleod's work for years and he's nothing but factual nothing but a spartan journalist in terms of uh, bringing the facts, his research, his research is yes, uh, exactly. second to none. Second to none. So, what could they possibly? That's right. Because they're taking him down because he's good and he's effective, not because he's flippant or he's a, quote, anti-Semitic, anti which is a charge they're probably going to lay at his feet because he's exposed so much corruption uh, with regards to this conflict that's been going on in Israel's activities, both in front and behind the scenes. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to try to follow up on that. I wouldn't mind uh, having a discussion with Alan as well. If we're able to get a hold of him, uh, maybe we can pursue I'd that on to, the back line.
2: Love- I'd love to get hold of Alan. Yes. Meanwhile, our own Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron, uh, is being grilled by MPs in committee. Of course, he sits in the House of Lords, so he doesn't take questions from MPs in the House of Commons. Um, But he has confirmed that the United Kingdom is determined to continue with the genocide and will keep arming Israel even after 30,000 civilians, including over 10,000 children, have been killed. Uh, While, uh, you know, the the, uh, genocide... Investigation is about – it seems peculiar
1: that the U.K. government would not even – Sure. Yeah. No, no, it is It is peculiar. It is – Arms sure. supply Israel. Yeah. Yeah, it is peculiar, Basil, and uh, I've I've been wondering about this for a while, and I've seen the the United Kingdom has been trying to take a back seat on this whole affair. You'd think they'd want to come out in front. This should be... Question time in Parliament should be addressing South Africa's uh, invocation of the Genocide Convention. Where is the United Kingdom as a global leader on morality, uh, on uh, human rights, as we're told, on press freedom, and all these issues that uh, RMPs are constantly opining about all the time. Um, where do they stand? Are they standing with South Africa? Are they standing against South Africa? They can't be abstaining because they've been taking a front, a, fr- a front leading position on this conflict from the beginning by providing military support to israel and political cover as well so uh, i'm wondering you know where's the government on this this is going to be a historic case they talk about bosnia uh, to no avail constantly basil they're uh, talking about bosnia and uh, the horrors of the milosevic regime and all this other stuff backing that effort in the international courts of justice but what about this I think history is going to be a very harsh judge at this point in time, Basil. What do you think?
2: Oh, and Myanmar, the United Kingdom government, made lengthy, very detailed submissions to the International Court of Justice about the genocide in Myanmar of the Rohingya people. Um, But that has been, uh, frankly, a vicar's tea party, compared to uh, what's happening in Gaza so as piers pointed out um you know these so called western values um uh, you know and the west's relationship with international law has been brought into very sharp focus and the complete and utter Hypocrisy has been exposed for what many of us long suspected it was, which is basically a very, very thin veneer of civility plastered over a very sinister agenda indeed.
1: (laughs) indeed it has i don't know if you caught this this story or not i mean i'm reticent to even try to touch it but it's just so crazy that we have to talk about it the tunnels in new york under the headquarters of uh, shabad lubovitch uh this sort of ultra orthodox um zionist sect uh in in tunnels underneath and it's looking very dodgy basil have you seen this story or not Yes,
2: absolutely, with um, members of the sect fighting with police mm-hmm. uh, as they were dragged out through these tunnels, which apparently were constructed so that they could attend the synagogue during COVID, during the lockdown mm-hmm. restrictions. Um, and there's a very funny video somebody has made um, overlaying the IDF spokesman talking yeah, about, about mass tunnels. Have you seen that? yeah that's that was, well was worth, amazing
1: yeah well so there's memes, the mems are just uh out of control in this they're saying you know the united states needs to scramble its air force and bomb new york city uh in order to you know get that's root right. out these tunnels these tunnels so it's like yeah so people actually do dig tunnels and for different reasons there is a sort of nefarious aspect to this that people are floating around in the rumor sphere of the internet i won't go into that because it's uh not uh anything we can confirm at the moment um but let's just say it's tangential to the epstein narrative as well but uh, i don't really want to go there to fuel the speculation there but i think the spectacle of this in the media is uh funny um the way it's being portrayed um it is kind of a bizarre story if you think about it but uh, the irony isn't lost on on a lot of people, Basil. But yeah, your final thoughts. We're going to go to break in a second. But uh, this or anything else you want to bring to our attention, Mr. Valentine?
2: Uh, Well, you know, just the the, the war of words over the the situation in the Middle East has sort of been intensifying uh, just as the war on the ground has been intensifying. It's worth remembering that yesterday uh, was uh, the most fatal single day Uh, To date, 250 civilians in Palestine, in Gaza, were murdered yesterday. And all this while that popping J. Blinken dances around the Middle East. uh, Today, embracing Netanyahu, finally made it to uh, take his orders uh, from Tel Aviv, uh, where he restated the United States' willingness to fully cooperate with Israel in its ongoing genocide. Uh, you know, masquerading as Israel has the right to continue its war in order to eliminate Hamas, to ensure it is never attacked again in the same way as October the 7th. That's the official line for all this killing. But it's so obvious, and it's been stated so many times by uh, Israeli officials, commentators, everyone else, that they simply want to kill as many people as possible and destroy the whole of Gaza, that uh, hearing them produce these, they're not platitudes, they're lies, is really, really sickening.
1: No, no, it is. And also at the same time, interesting talking point. We can, we're can we going to cover this in depth tomorrow, by the way. We've got a major drop uh, tomorrow on this program regarding uh, the situation with uh, Hezbollah in South Lebanon against Israel. We're going to break that tomorrow. But uh, they're talking about a political solution with Hezbollah already. I think there's some panic going on in Tel Aviv, Basel, some panic, genuine panic, and in Washington as well. well I- they can't defeat yeah. hezbollah it, they can't defeat
2: them well not only that but they've made that you know that they've really painted themselves into a corner of the situation in gaza uh, apparently blinken appealed to israeli officials today to allow the residents of northern gaza to return to their homes and israeli officials unsurprisingly objected well first of all there aren't any homes I'm yeah, uh, right. given. To, I'm given to believe that something like sixty percent, heading for two thirds, of all residential property in Gaza has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. This is a, a breathtaking number.
1: You know. Yeah. How uh, tone deaf? How so, tone deaf is that comment by, by Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State? I mean, what planet is this guy on? Honestly. I mean.
2: Yeah, um, Biden was interrupted yesterday. I don't know if you saw that at a campaign speech, by protesters immediately, you know, shouting for a ceasefire. He just started speaking, and a dozen or so people got up and started shouting. And he's going to find that wherever he goes, there is tremendous strength of feeling about this, and that is only growing. And again, it appears alluded to this uh, friction. Uh, between uh, ordinary people, voters the world over, the sort of global resistance, as he referred to it, and the oligarchy uh, bought and paid for by Zionists clinging to power in Brussels, Washington, London, and everywhere else. This this is going to have some kind of major bust-up in the months ahead. It must do, because people are not being represented. And you know, depending on which way the ICJ goes this week, um, you know, Jonathan Cook... Someone else. I'm very keen to 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 get on the to get on the Patrick Heningson show. Uh, has posted a very erudite article as usual, uh, laying out the very serious implications if the ICJ find that Israel is indeed committing genocide. Uh, the Israelis, of course, doing their level best to lean on everybody to dismiss the case in their yeah. typically thuggish,
1: gangsterish way. Yeah, we covered that yesterday, that uh, a lot of maneuvers going on behind the scenes. Uh, Sam Hussein, he was giving us some details on that. We'll keep an eye on that side of things. Certainly, there's that political backroom intimidation and all the other things we've seen in the past with major uh, UN decisions, Security Council decisions over the years. Nothing new there, but uh, this one, uh, the stakes are extremely high uh, on this one. Basil Valentine, want to thank you for joining us on TNT this afternoon. Much appreciated. Thank you, Patrick. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is Basil Valentine, our roving correspondent this week. Let's take a break with TNT, today's news talk. After our messages from the network, we'll be back with a look at the global economy, at crypto, big announcements, big moves in that space, and also how this is affecting geopolitics, all this and more on the other side as we speak as well to Blake Lovewell our trusted uh, guru, as it were, in the crypto and finance space. It's coming up in just a few minutes. Stay right there.
0: TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border they might be called air marshals but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground maybe they're ground marshals now marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the united states Customs and border protection
3: where are they chris smith on tnt radio affordable housing we can build that sustainable housing we can build that At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT
0: Modular, we can build that. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness, lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio.
1: All right, welcome back. Welcome back, folks. This is Patrick Henningsen. You are tuned into the final segment of the final hour of the patrick kenningson show here live and direct on tnt today's news talk thank you guys for joining us big thank you to everybody in the tnt chat community great to see you guys in there really appreciate your work uh, spreading the information the links keeping it light keeping it fun but also keeping it real love our community in the tnt chat box hopefully we'll see you guys a little bit later in this segment now i want to bring on to the call right now we're looking at the global economy and global finance. And I think this is a really important time because everybody's talking about when is the big crash? When is the big crash? It's normally February. It's going to be some Black Thursday. It's coming in October. It's coming in February. This is normally when people are kind of uh, foreseeing these major calamities in the markets. Let's just say it's an it's an understatement that there are sort of structural uh, instability fissures uh, right across the global financial system. We can talk about some of those, but also the area of cryptocurrency, hard metal like gold and silver, exact as etc, other commodities oil for instance how how is this going to be affected by any moves uh either on the currency side on the stock market side uh as well so we'll talk about that with our next guest blake lovewell joining us on the call right now uh very much appreciate you coming this week blake how are you
4: hey yeah i'm really good thanks and uh, i appreciate being here uh, with all you guys um it's interesting that you said about. Uh, Everyone's talking about the big crash. Well, it's definitely true in the uh, niche uh, alternative media that we uh, sometimes uh, find ourselves swimming in. But I would definitely say that uh, on the mainstream side, um, everybody's kind of uh, doing that thing where they they don't mention the elephant in the room. They talk about anything but the big crash. Um, I did manage to find one article uh, on uh, Yahoo Finance uh, talking about potential stock market crash this year. But in general, much of the press in the mainstream media will tell you that everything's hunky-dory. Uh, we're looking at a nice soft landing uh, onto some feather down blankets and, you know, the uh, the economy's looking up uh, and the central banks have totally reined in what was some quarrelsome uh, headwinds uh, and got them under control. But uh, as I say, uh, here in the alternative media where we look at uh, uh, maybe a more facts-based approach and a, a real politic on the ground uh, uh perspective yeah things aren't aren't so hunky-dory as I say
1: yeah and also in the in the cryptocurrency space there's a lot of uh, commotion right now uh boiling wow. under the surface over an imminent announcement and uh affecting Bitcoin in a big way yeah uh, this is the ETF announcement is it going to happen is it not going to happen is it going to be delayed if it if it happens What's going to happen to the price of Bitcoin? How's the markets going to react, Blake?
4: Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's big news in crypto. And it's kind of been boiling away on the back burner for over a year or um, maybe even longer. People talk about the ETF, uh, exchange-traded fund. Um, and what what those are, are kind of like a, a stock or a share that... Um, uh, people can buy. Um, not, you know, we could buy them if we really got into it, but it, we're, t- we're talking more about, uh, asset managers, um, companies that hold assets for people as an investment, and then they gamble on stocks and shares, um, and then try and make a dividend for their uh, investors. Um, and an ETF is kind of a vessel for doing that. And where it pertains to Bitcoin is that, um, a company. We'll take the example of BlackRock because they're one of the biggest uh, companies uh, filing for an ETF at the moment. Um, BlackRock want to have an ETF that stock uh, buyers can purchase, and then if the price of Bitcoin goes up, the stock buyers can sell that stock and gain the profit um, without having to have touched Bitcoin, the asset, the fundamental asset. It's kind of. Uh, um, Akin to paper gold, uh, you know, gold uh, can be bought as bullion and coins and physical gold metal that you own in your, um, you know, vault or wherever you choose to hold it under your bed. Um, But then you also have paper gold, which are these kind of IOUs, promises that you can trade digitally, and they need not exist physically. Uh, The problem comes when there's uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, units of paper gold for every ounce of real gold. Um, But that's an argument for another day. So uh, I would liken the paper gold argument to. paper bitcoin argument so an etf is basically paper bitcoin and um lots of um, big financial uh, in institutions across the world are, g- are trying to get involved in getting these ETFs ratified and allowed by the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, uh, the uh, institution in America that's um, in charge of regulating these these types of products. Um, and tomorrow comes the big decision for at least the first um, of the big ETFs. Uh, that one will be ARK slash 21 shares. Uh, ARK Invest is a big um, investment asset holder under Kathy Wood, and she's seen as a mover and a shaker in the sphere in both crypto and in uh, regular stocks and shares trading. so when the decision comes as to whether this ETF will be allowed by the SEC uh, to trade in America on the stock market and the stock exchange, that will probably um, signal for the next uh, 14 firms that are also applying for an ETF um, that they'll be accepted. Um so there we've got the sim, the kind of simple rundown. I hope it was simple for people out there. I mean, feel free to shout out questions in the chat and we'll try and address them. I mean, these acronyms can get a bit laborious, um, and I can go on to what that might mean for the price, but have you, does anything spring to mind on that, uh, Patrick?
1: Well, I, I think a lot of people are, uh, the big concern Blake is, um, obviously I think that there's going to be a rush to to get bitcoin when that announcement's made correct me if i'm wrong i think there'll be an initial rush you'll see a spike and that that might sort of level out and it might turn into a long-term trend but the thing people are worried about blake is uh, the potential in the short term for volatility when you get the big institutions coming in gambling you're talking about large sums of money that they've got staked uh, in some of these uh, digital assets like Bitcoin, uh, uh, potentially that could you know move the market in one direction or the other. I think there's mm-hmm. a potential period of instability before things kind of you know even out because you're you're mm-hmm. ent- it's a new sort of variable, isn't it, coming into the space? So that that's what people are worried about is is the uh, up and down volatility that this might cause. Yeah. What do you think?
4: Yeah, totally. Well, um, yeah, there's there's yeah, there's there's so much to say on that um, as to whether the the um, the ETF rush is priced in. Uh, we we won't know until the ETF is approved, and then you know uh, the news hits, and then we watch the BT, BTC price indicator probably go up. Um, even just because it's causing more people to acknowledge um, Bitcoin as a real asset. If someone like BlackRock, uh, the largest um, asset wealth manager in the world, uh, is opening an ETF that's regulated in the USA, um, that's massive news for institutional adoption. I think that um, with regards to price, there is is a few different ways that the price can be affected. One, yeah, the simple kind of um, popularity equals demand. Um, You know, the news is, is saying the word Bitcoin a lot of people get more involved more interested they see a lot better long-term prospect and they buy it so then the price goes up slightly Um, what I see is the most important equation is that um, however many um, paper Bitcoin that the ETF uh, that the company sells through it through their ETF let's say um, BlackRock sells 100 billion dollars worth of these shares they have to back each of those shares with actual Bitcoin. And because Bitcoin is a very, um, that has a public blockchain that is verifiable by anyone around the world who runs a node, um, you basically can't hide that. Um, So, you know, normally when you uh, have a bank, they can lend out thousands and thousands of dollars without any asset backing that. Whereas these ETFs have to be backed by Bitcoin. There may be some mechanisms they can hide that, but I think really they're actually going to have to back it and there's nothing stopping them whilst there's a lot of market liquidity. They can buy Bitcoin in but if blackrock are offering this to their customers and it b- proves very popular yeah there's going to be an enormous buy pressure from these institutions um which which means the pro uh, the price could you know there's no upper bound to the price because there are only uh 18 and a half million bitcoin have ever been mined so you know anything <laughs> anything higher than 18 million you're you know you're in the multiples then um so i think that that's going to be the real upwards pressure which is why a lot of um bitcoin max analysts are really happy right now and that's why everyone's kind of trying to stack like crazy um but then if we're trying to you know look off our, our um hocus pocus crystal ball and, and make a price prediction i would say that lots of people have already priced this etf um, acceptance in and i don't think we'll see a crack up boom I think we'll just see um uh much more stronger and resilient growth in uh Bitcoin's price and adoption.
1: Yeah, yeah, because also those funds uh uh well they'll make they make money trading on the up and the down swings, aren't they? Those big institutions. Oh, so, the
4: house always wins.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean they do have the 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 financial muscle, the weight, the funds to be able to shift things uh where they want to on that but yeah it'll be very interesting to see how this pans out there's gonna be a lot of chatter and talk about this and also it you know where bitcoin goes so does ethereum so do some of the other coins uh the leading coins on that um so they tend to track with bitcoin um but there's a lot of uh, coins altcoins stable coins all these things have a lot of them have fallen by the wayside um in the last year would you agree that uh, there's been a shaking out of some of the weaker yeah. the weaker players in the market what do you think
4: yeah definitely there's been um, you know, Bitcoin has regained its dominance. It's currently sitting just below 51% of the global crypto market cap. But then I think there's a lot of uh, uh, gerrymandering about um, crypto market with wash trading in in other coins. So I think Bitcoin actually is is uh, massively dominates the crypto market in terms of um, you know real assets held. And yeah, there's been a shakedown. There's not as much easy money around as there was during the kind of um, COVID furlough period. Um, and now people are like looking to cash in their risky assets and just you know get the bread and butter sorted um so yeah there's been a shakedown for sure but i think we're at the start of the next bull cycle so we'll see uh, all sorts of crazy stuff coming down the pipeline well that could be exciting
1: like the next bull cycle i like the sound of that so do a lot of people out there but uh, we'll see we'll see it's not for the faint-hearted folks uh, this is uh, tumultuous waters that you're diving into here. So we're not giving any investment advice other than be very well informed, do your research and make uh, educated and, uh, you know, uh, sensible decisions uh, with your, with your money. Let's take a break right now. I'm talking to Blake Lovewell about finance, the economy, Bitcoin we will continue this conversation on the other side. And we'll also see how this is reverberating into geopolitics. Fascinating discussion, I'm sure you'll agree. More on the other side, stay right there.
2: While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better.
3: DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways.
2: Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world.
3: Michael Naranjo. May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. You're with
0: Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back, folks. We're talking about money, finance, crypto, the global markets, uh, but also uh, geopolitics. I'm with Blake Lovewell. He is our trusted uh, financial and crypto oracle of sorts. I'm not going to give you that lofty title of Oracle Blake, because that's just too much pressure, but uh, you Mm -hmm. are, you are an observer of things and trends out in the world and you're sharing those observations with us. And one of those is, you know, geopolitics, how does geopolitics and what's happening? Let's just take, for example, what's happening in Gaza. How's that going to affect people's pocketbooks? How's that going to affect the stock market, the price of gas? What, what, what do we need to look at in, in, in terms of that, that conversation?
4: Well, I'd say that we're in, um, an era, we're in the rise of geopolitics. And I mean, you and I have both studied politics, so we have a different conception of what geopolitics means, but what we kind of mean by geopolitics is the kind of reality on the surface of earth, the control of uh, resources, you know, metals, precious metals, um, the control of uh, energy and the control of movement of people, um, the things that happen on the ground, uh, as opposed to the kind of things that happen in the ideological sphere, uh, the sphere of ideas and propaganda and um, stuff like that. They do have an interlinking, of course, um, but most of modern politics, see, uh, at least for um, the last couple of decades has been going on in uh on twitter on newspapers in the kind of ideas sphere Um, but now we're entering into a sphere where there are real hot wars um you know real kind of conflicts going on over borders and over resources and uh one massive flare-up in the last few months has been um israel uh gaza um and that whole conflict um and what that has kind of signaled to the world is an uh, ent- entry into an era of instability. I think most people see the Middle East is, is kind of like a fractured vase that has been uh, glued together um, by various post-colonial um, agreements, but that glue is uh, has never been uh, seen to be as strong as cement. Uh, and the vessel may be uh, uh, showing deeper fissures and cracking apart um, as we see tensions rising between um, the Arab world, and not only uh, just the Arab world as one unit, but, you know, the the various different actors within the Arab world. Um, They, uh, you know, through Saudi Arabia and Qatar, control a huge amount of oil. Um, Through Iran, that's one of the big geopolitical, um, you know, uh, axes that the world turns on. Um, And then you've got the massive involvement of Russia and China on one side, and the kind of BRICS movement versus um, the uh, U.S. uh, you know, aging hegemony on the the other side. Um- so yeah, right now it's a really important time to look at, uh, um, you know, Israel-Gaza. And for me, one of the most pivotal um, stories coming out at the moment isn't about um, the atrocities and uh, various egregious war crimes, although those, uh, you know, I hope will find their day in international court. Um, but right now, it's the Yemeni um, resistance in the Straits of Hormuz. Um, they, um, for those of you who haven't caught the headlines, they, uh, the Yemeni resistance, which is kind of a, uh, you know, tiny. Res- resistance in global army terms you know uh, totally dwarfed by the enemy that is the USA uh, and the USA uh, uh, reach of power but they've been um, using various small uh, motorboats and uh, small uh, missiles and that kind of uh, weaponry uh, to attack um, shipping uh, liners that were destined to um, Israeli or U.S. controlled territories um, and this tiny disruption has actually proven to be a massive thorn in the, st- the side for the USA and um, upwards of 25% of uh, shipping that was going through the Straits of Hormuz has now had to be redirected after uh, Maersk, uh, one of the biggest shipping liners in the world, has decided to uh, stop using the strait once one of their ships was attacked. They, they use a combination of private security and the U.S. Navy to protect these freights, uh, freighting, uh, you know, shipping containers, you know, these uh, containers which still, even despite the, uh, you know, the green agenda, they still use these big diesel belching um, boats to do most of the world's industrial trade. Um, and yeah, upwards of 25% of those are being redirected around the whole of Africa, round past uh, South Africa, um, and all the way back around there. So, you know, adding uh, weeks onto the, the traversement. And um, as we saw with the uh, COVID supply chain shock. Um, I think we're going to see a similar thing moving down the line with uh, shipping uh, causing uh, reverberations all because of a a tiny group of Yemeni actors who've managed to have an outsized um, uh, effect on global trade. Yeah,
1: the Ansar Allah, the West call them the Houthis. Uh, this is the uh, legitimate government in Yemen, according to many Yemenis, but not according to the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, who are backing the sort of Juan Guaido, uh, Mansur al-Hadi recognized government holding up down there in Aden uh, in the southern part of the country. So there's still a dispute over like who's in charge uh, in that country. But you're right, Blake, you're right. The Houthis, who would have thought they would have mm. within five years, their own special forces and Navy SEAL teams, literally being able to commandeer major ships on the high seas and doing it quite efficiently, by the way. Mm. I mean, the intelligence is incredible that they they could, work. I think it's because of the open source uh, data that's now available for shipping, who's flagged, who's the owner, what the cargo might be, port of uh, departure. And where they're headed, and all this other stuff—it's probably not difficult even for somebody that doesn't have, you know, any access to anything classified or difficult to obtain. Uh, literally, Blake, from open-source data, yeah, uh, and intelli- totally. The Houthis have been able to work out uh, if anyone's providing any uh, material aid to Israel uh, while it's carrying out a genocide. So, in fact, they're they're invoking sanctions, and we saw what sanctions did to Russia in terms of the global European economy, UK economy, especially. Uh, you remember in the uh, the aftermath of Russia's special military operation uh, in late February 2022, you saw the reverberations there. And that was a big effort by the collective West to cancel Russia, the world's biggest commodity, overall commodity producer, if you talk about the basket of commodities. But Yemen, little Yemen, in fact, not even mm-hmm. the whole of Yemen, just the the answer Allah Houthis have managed to create uh, is not not equal, but. Pretty significant moves and disruptions, and markets, and diverting shipping around the horn of uh, the the Cape
4: of Good Hope, mm. and all that. Yeah. Unbelievable! This is historic. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, I think that it's it's. Proving to be a very strong deterrent for um, Israel's own policies there, which I think the um, the uh, Houthis have mentioned as their motivation for these new attacks. They they're really falling on the side of the kind of um, Arab world support of the Palestinian um, cause. Um, and yeah, you mentioned open source intelligence. You can find these similar to um, you'll see pictures of aircraft. Um, you know, routes all have to be publicly available, um, and there are public facing websites where you can find these. The same with um, shipping, and I. I've seen a few images from the last couple of days where ships that are traveling through the Straits of Hormuz have edited their descriptions um, so that when they appear online, it says very clearly Chinese company in like uh, multiple languages and, you know, like, do not attack us, we are, you know, Chinese ship, you know, we're nothing to do with Israel or America Um, because the the price of value of these goods and cargo is so high that you can't afford to have a a misunderstanding. But yeah, as you say, the Houthis is kind of a spectacular Um, ascendance. I mean, one wonders if it's uh, purely natural, uh, that necessity being the mother of invention has really pushed a small rebellious insurrection force, um, or at least, mm, yeah, that might be a controversial way to describe them, but a small force uh, to be so um, disproportionately powerful, because I remember at least five or more years ago, Yemen was talked about as this kind of um, bloodbath. The Houthis were being um, downtrodden, the kind of US-sponsored color revolution style um government was just going to be a kind of shoehorn uh, shoe in and you know that was going to be case closed for Yemen and then we've had this kind of protracted war and everybody stopped talking about the war crimes in parliament um there was a period when you know Yemen was a, an important uh, cause for the uh, the bleeding hearts but you know that obviously fell by the wayside when uh, Ukraine came along um but now Yemen is back in the back in the news and, you know, they proved they didn't really need um, that much help to do this. And I think that kind of shows some of the weakness for um, America as a whole. And you could draw a historical parallel with the kind of Roman Empire where it got too big to manage and, um, you know, the, the US relies on this power projection. They don't need to have uh, an aircraft carrier in every flare-up. Just the threat that one aircraft carrier might turn up is enough. But um, the Houthis aren't perturbed. And even though some of those boats are being destroyed some of those missiles are being deflected it's done enough and um yeah definitely we're seeing i think i don't know uh, as we're coming towards the end what's your opinion about the tide shifting on the uh on the uh, israel gaza conflict um web well the, t- the tides uh, definitely shifting uh
1: the narrative is shifting uh South Africa has uh, been a played a big role in that um, so now it's like you can't run and hide now the evidence is on the table they're gonna they're gonna adjudicate this case South Africa's got a good case it's bad for Israel so I think all of this is going to shape uh the the facts on the ground hezbollah has also uh, dealt a major blow to the Israelis to week hitting one of their major air bases the eyes and ears uh that connects them with the five eyes as well connects with the British intelligence uh GCHQ center in uh in Cyprus and the Americans use all these networks as well so this is a huge uh major game changer by Hezbollah so yeah we're seeing that there people are keeping their one eye though on the Straits of Hormuz like because if it does kick off, um, you, you know, the red light. So yeah, we're seeing that there. People are keeping their one eye though on the Straits of Hormuz plague, because if it does kick off, um, you, you know, the Red Sea, the bab mandeb Straits, the Straits of Hormuz into the Persian Gulf, all of that's gonna come under question. Iran has control over the Straits of Hormuz uh, effectively. Um, so that's gonna be, you know, could hit the global oil markets in a big way. That's gonna hit the dollar. That's gonna reverberate with everything else. So, you know, all these things are just kind of looming, Blake. There's like multiple swords of Damocles hanging over the head of the global economy at the moment, and people are a little bit trepidatious, to say the least. I'm sure investors are a little bit cautious about what's going on right now. Blake Lovewell, appreciate you joining us on TNT this week.
4: Yeah, always a pleasure and just hoping here for a peaceful outcome to all of this. I think that's the most uh, optimistic we can put it. I like that. We need to keep it on that upside,
1: folks. It's not all gloom and doom. It's not all blackpilling here. So I want to keep it for real. And thank you, Blake. Thank you, Basil Valentine. And also thank you to Dr. Piers Robinson, our special guest in the first hour. This has been a very...